Hey, this is your favorite cousin, and you're watching the Three Count Podcast. Oh! Welcome, everybody, to another great edition of the Three Count Podcast presents Now Entering, and I'm your host, Clifford Red Dog Miller, the man that leads you up that mountain called wrestling. And by now, after our 200-something episode, you guys should just say it right. I am your Sherpa. Because like your tribal chief, acknowledge me. But like every good Sherpa, you got to have someone who's been there, done that, and can do it more efficiently than you can. That's why it's never about me. It's about who's entering the ring. So who's entering the ring today? Well, he comes to us from ASW, RWA, SWF, No Limit, SSW, and TWA. He is the monster. He is the lethal one. He is Cousin Condre. Oh, how you doing, boss? Y'all, I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Doing good. Yeah, I'm going to say, though, I definitely appreciate you coming on our show because I know it's it's definitely, like, tough to get a hold of people sometimes, and I'm very appreciative that you're like, yo, I'll come on this show. <laughs> oh, no problem. I appreciate you for having me on, man. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. So first question I'm going to ask right off the jump, right, because I know I probably fucked his name up, right? But who is Cousin Condry? Uh, Cousin Condry is just a... A miscreant from the backwoods of Bradyville, you know what I mean? He uh, he doesn't play by anyone's rules necessarily, and he's got his own set of values. I like it, though. And it's one of those things, like, when you create a character and you're, like, having fun, like, not really pulling back the curtain, I guess to say, but really when you're creating a world and creating this character, like, coming up with a backstory and, like, understanding why they're doing the things they're doing and what their motives are and stuff, it's really, like... I don't know. For me, I, it's one of the coolest things like I've been able to do and get into and like expand myself as much as possible. Oh, definitely. That's the uh, I guess the funner aspect of the wrestling business is actually the the create the creativeness of it. You know, sitting down and actually getting to watch your uh, your art come alive. You know, uh, we're all artists in this business, and at, you know, at the end of the day, whatever you put together, whatever you create, that's your masterpiece. You got to roll with it. <laughs> yes. And sometimes things don't go according to plan. So then, you know, you take it back to the drawing board, sharpen up a little bit, and then you just take it back out and try it again. I like, I've had, like, I know when I first got in, like the one thing that might, and I, this was something I thought, right? I thought like your trainer just picked out your gimmick and like, that's what you are and you got to run with it. And so, uh, you know, I was prior military. And so for me, like my, my, my trainer was like, you're going to be the military guy, a serious, a serious gimmick, right? Serious military dude. And I was like, cool, except I'm not even close to being that person. I was like, and I tried for like nine months and like things were kind of moving in like a positive direction, but then I just gave it all up. Cause I was like, I want to be just like the fun loving asshole. Who's like, you have really dark humor, mm-hmm. but also really, really fun at like, you know, poking at situations like, a regular military dude would be. And so yeah. the more genuine I got into it, the bigger reactions I saw from the crowd. And then my trainer was like, all right, just do what you do and run as hard as you can. <laughs> That's usually what clicks more with the people when they tell that you're having fun and what you're doing and that you can actually grasp uh, the concept of what you're trying to portray to those people. They, they, they connect with that a little bit more than somebody who's just out there going through the motions and filling a role. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, because it's definitely when you're trying trying to figure out what your what your how your character really wants to move and the things that you want to do with it, it's kind of hard to like fake something because you know people are always like fake it till you make it, but if you don't want to fake it, like everyone can see it, yep. and it's very hard to like pull that curtain away and be like, no, 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 I'm serious. Look at me, and you're just like, I'm not really being that serious, and you're like, check me out, and they're like, no, nah, we don't believe you. <laughs> That's how it is, though. Honestly, honestly. So my question is, how did you get into the business? Uh, my dad actually has been in the business for 20, uh, almost 20 years, uh, a little over maybe. Um, and I just went to shows uh, my whole youth, you know, went with him Thursday through Saturday. Uh, and by the time I was 14, I started reffing, you know, picking up where uh, other people weren't able to fill in, you know, maybe somebody didn't show up for security or we didn't have a ref or something like that. Uh, and I would always before every show and I still do, um, I'll get, er uh, get there early and I'll work out, uh, in, in the ring, you know? Uh, so when I was around 15, you know, um, my dad and a couple of other workers in the business, they were kind of watching me from the side and, uh, I, I was working, you know, we, me and another trainee worked a match that was about eight, nine minutes long. And, uh, they really liked it. So he was like, Hey, do you, we had somebody, you know, not show up. Would you like to work a match? And I said, yes. So I never really had formal training until like about a year or two in. And then, uh, I started working at uh, Wolfie D's house of champions. I uh, went to his training school for like a month or two, two months. And, uh, I started getting some training by primetime Brian Lee, who was the fake undertaker in the WWE in 1997. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's how it, that's how it happened. I like that. And that's cool that you got like to work with someone who, you know, has been to the peak. Right. Um, I know another veteran who refers to it as studying at Harvard and Yale, like in the wrestling business and like, obviously like WWE, WWF, whatever you want to call it. Right is is the pinnacle of where everybody wants to get to and so to be able to get to work with those people who have been to that you can squeeze so much knowledge out of that tree <laughs> a, a lot of knowledge and, and even when you're not in the ring you know you're you're just around them you pick up on different things or stuff that they're all right what are we gonna do tonight and you know you just listen and pick their brain as they and, and even in their everyday activities you know it there's so much you can learn from somebody who's been to the, been to the show, you know? Yeah, definitely. I know like for me, uh, I got to pick the brain of Gilbert and uh, Dwayne is one of the nicest dudes that I, like, I've ever met in my life. And he's just so down to earth. And I get to have this conversation with this man who, you know, his character was a parody character, right? That's Gilbert. Um, but he like has so much to get back that you're just like, it's it takes so much time to be able to like be like yo I got to really digest all the stuff that you're telling me because it's hard because you're like dang dude like how much how much knowledge do you really can I just keep continuing to grow and then you find new things that you want to talk about and learn and you're just pushing and pulling and trying to figure out what else you can shake out of the tree and it is it's cool to be able to talk to those guys definitely and and a lot of those guys they're not looking for for money or anything, you know, there's people that do seminars, but a lot of them guys in the locker room, they will, 
they will tell you all you want to learn if you just go up, be respectful, and ask, you know. Uh, they they just want to help people that are passionate about wrestling just as much as they are in most cases. Yeah, one of my favorite things I had happen, right, I was at a – I was in a new promotion, right, I was debuting, and um, the, the, the champ, right, I was making my debut match against the champion, mm-hmm. and he sat down, and he's like, well, hey – you know, and he called me by my, my stage name. Hey, Red Dog, uh, what do you do? And I was like, li- I just listen and sell. That's all I do. Yeah. And he was like, he's like, oh, I like that. He's like, in, in, in the time that I've been on it, he's like, I don't hear that too much more any, anymore. Uh, but what do you want to do in this match? And I yeah. was like, oh, well, let's talk. And then we kind of went through like the the six moves that I like to hit in a match. <laughs> and then he was like, I love it. And then – uh then we built a match around it and you know it was incredible to be able to work with someone like him and you know uh it, it is very cool when you get to have that first experience and you know they you obviously pay your respects first and then you know you can see it get reciprocated back yeah definitely and i think uh i was i don't want to say uh unlucky because i'm very lucky with with it but i was uh, I'd like to say that I was unlucky in the fact that I was so young, you know, uh, I didn't really have the, um, uh, I was still childish in a sense, you know, I probably didn't let enough information sink in, uh, because all of my growing and, and which I'll, I'll always be learning, but everything that I've been happy with that I've done in wrestling is all came within the past year, you know, and mm. it's nothing super major, but I've been traveling more. Uh, I've drove the last three weekends. I've drove over 3,200 miles just for shows. Uh, and, you know, I'm actually getting out there. I've got some, uh, overseas bookings next year, two different continents. It's going to be cool as shit. I'm, I'm yeah. really, uh, like I've, I've worked harder this year than I think I ever have done, like worked at anything in my life, honestly. Um, I took a four-year break. I, I started wrestling when I was 14, stopped when I was 20, and uh, started again earlier this year when I was 24. So Nice. And that's kind of cool that you're going to get those international bookings too because like once you start leaving and going to other places, like now you become – and it's, it's funny because I hear it a lot. Like you'll hear those those veterans who like – say they've been wrestling for like 10 years, but they've only been one at one or two promotions within like the state. But once you kind of start traveling, like now you're picking the brains of like everybody else around you. And yeah. so it is cool. It's cool to hear you talk about like, yeah, I'm going to go international and I get to do this and this. So that's yeah. really cool. Cause I know a bunch of friends who've gone overseas and just like had a blast, like putting on shows. I- I'm excited. Uh, man, the, the biggest thing I want to say is learning different styles and, and different, uh, like crowds too, like different um, settings and, and the way different people react, you know, that's the, the biggest thing I'm excited about is the learning aspect of everything that I'm going to get to bring back to and share with some of the people that I work with here. That's a, uh, you know, it, it, it is, it is a dream. You know what I'm saying? It feels like a dream come true when you get to, and you know, it's not a super big show, but it's getting to go over there, you know? Yeah, when you get that invite, like all of a sudden you leave and you come back. Now you're, you're not just locally known; you're internationally known, and that's massive to be able to do something like that. Uh, so you have said though that you've been traveling around, and you know, like you said, last three weekends, 
3,200 miles. So I'm pretty sure you have one of these. And I just want to know, what's the worst bump you've taken? The worst bump that I've taken the last two weeks in, uh, uh, is actually two of them. In North Carolina, both times, uh, I took a back body drop on the concrete in the middle of the Chapel Hill Square in North Carolina from a pretty tall dude. And uh, I took a hip toss bump on the concrete the week after from the same person. Uh, street fight. Those, the only reason they were so bad is because I hit all on one side and mm. I landed on my back and I feel it in my front. You know, that <laughs> it's pretty rough. Yeah, I could imagine doing that. I, I'm i not one that's like, hey, let me go hit me with this thing right outside. Like, I'm just not that guy. I yeah, just like I, just keep it in the ring. I, I, do some while. I, I like to to do a little bit. Uh, man, my adrenaline's going so much. I, I think I like the pain a little bit. And, uh, you know, I don't really feel it. It don't click in my head until, like, the following day. Mm-hmm. But though, that definitely, the and more so the hip toss, because I took my own bump. And right. for a bigger person, I can get pretty airborne. You know, I can do a buckshot lariat into the ring uh, at 270 pounds. Uh, standing moonsault, I can I can go. So when I jumped and did took that hip toss, I, I when I hit, I felt it all right there. I, <laughs> I was like, oh, man, oh, this is what a mistake. This was bad. Yeah, I could imagine. I know, like, I got nervous because, like, I did my first dive in a match uh, last week, actually, last weekend. The first time ever diving out. And, I, you know, I've been in just under three years now. So, like, for me to, like, and at 37, right, to just all of a sudden sell out and go for this dive, like, I was like, I hope you guys catch me because I really don't want to regret doing this at all. <laughs> oh, man. So I got lucky. I got caught and I was like, you know what? I was like, this might be a thing I start doing more often. Yeah. Because well, you're right, like your adrenaline kicks in, you're like, I gotta do it again. <laughs> yeah. That, once you do it that first time and you don't get hurt and all that nervousness goes away and the confidence kicks in, yeah. you, you'll want to do it every week. Right. <laughs> it is the problem. Like, I can't wait to hit this again in another match. <laughs> Yo. All right, so a uh, question, right? Uh, everybody has, like, their, like, you have your character, right? But it's usually kind of like you're picking and choosing from, like, other things, medias, or even just, like, other wrestlers. But who are your five characters that you have made your character around? Ah, okay. So uh, a variety of, uh, okay, so let's go with the obvious. We have uh, Leatherface, uh, Blair Witch. Um, a variety, I won't say a single character, but a Tim Burton characters, like the animation style, the charismatic yes. um, Michael Myers, the shape, and uh, Jack Nicholson from The Shining, pretty much the, the psychoticness when I'm talking on the microphone. I like to, I like to be articulate sometimes, you know. All, all of those mixed together, maybe some more. Well, it's cool, too, because, like, in this light right now, and I don't know, but our viewers could definitely see it, your mask looks like Boogie Woogie from, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas. And I 100% am with it, because it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, I used to, uh, well, I still have it. It's just I can't, this mask is permanent now. Uh, 
uh, I work in it, and the one I wore beforehand, I, I, I would take it off before I got in the ring. Um, but uh, it was made, it was still kind of like this with the straps up top and around the back, hair flow, but it had burlap on the front. Mm. And it, it, it would be a cool mask if I could get it to stay on, but I think I need to throw a chin strap on it or something. <laughs> I understand. This one is it, hot. Oh yeah, I wear a mask to the ring, and I don't. I like I. I only have like a half piece, mm. and I like that's the first thing I take off anytime yeah. I get to the ring because I'm this, like, nope. <laughs> this one's got good airflow underneath, but man, up here there's no nose holes or. <laughs> I have two little ones like right here, and then like the whole mask is open. I'm like, nah, I still gotta go. Like I'm just not wearing this. <laughs> And I'm very, I'm very vocal in the ring, you know. I think uh, being energetic and charismatic goes a long way. Character sells, you know. And it is, I mean, I get blowed up from hollering, talking, uh, working the people, and it is, it is very unpleasant after about five or six minutes. It starts getting, it's a uphill battle. I understand. So. Uh, check it out. I'm just kind of wanting to know, like, what's one of the hardest lessons you've had to learn being in the business? Uh, hardest lesson that I've had to learn is is probably uh, to to just people are going to do what they're going to do, and there's no such thing as originality in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, and I still have that internal battle. I believe that they're still is originality in wrestling. There's, I mean, you know what I mean? Wrestling is 200, 150, 200 years old uh, before that Roman times, you know what I mean? But pro wrestling, uh, but still, I, I think that there is still room for people to be original. And even if, uh, people bank off your ideas and and such, you know, uh, they still put their own twist on things. That's if that makes any sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. I know, like for me, like my character, like it's no see, like I, it's a direct like pull. Like I love Deadpool and I love like his antics and stuff like that. So when I, my whole new suit is just red. It's it's a straight dedication to like Deadpool, but then it's very much me because like I still like have. Like, I don't have full sleeves, but I still have my, my logos on there and, like, people recognize. And then, like, my attitude is just talk a lot of shit while either beating, getting my ass kicked or just kicking somebody's ass. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it's one thing, too. You brought it up, like, originality. Like, in today's age, is definitely – there is no, like, real, like, original yeah. character. Like, you have, your, you have your monsters and stuff like that. But I think one person that does stand out to me as far as, like, an original character would be, like, Orange Cassidy. I know yes. a lot of people, like, do not like him because they're like, man, he's not well, a good character. I'm like, he's great. <laughs> it's new. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's different. Um, even, I mean, you go back to everybody wants to be Johnny Kickpads these days. You know what I mean? Nobody's got – some people are afraid of looking, I guess, too gimmicky when they're in the ring, but uh, when you're on the independent scene and you're trying to make a living off of this and, you know, gimmicky stuff sells, that's what, that's what sells. You look at the merch table, people aren't buying 
your shirt with your name across it and you're doing a fighting pose on the front. You know what I'm saying? They're buying the shirts that uh, have a goofy, uh, you looking goofy on there or uh, what is your, red dog. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever you yeah. got going on, man, that's what people are into, dude. They're not into this guy that is wearing trunks, got kick pads on and hooking a fucking anaconda vice or doing a super kick. You know what I mean? It's not, it, as in be original, I mean, go against the norm, go against the grain of the state. I feel like, I feel like I hear, who was it I just recently heard? I think it was Gary V was talking about it. He was like, when everybody's zigging, I zag. He's like, and then everybody will start zagging and then I'll zig. He's like, yeah. and he's like, you always have to say kind of like, like you just said, right? Go against the grain because sometimes, like, going against the grain, like, it will definitely stand out. And I know, like, my character, like, it's way different from, like, everybody else. Like, a lot of people call it, like, gaga wrestling, which is fine. It's cool. But I can still work. But it's just that well, I see, know that I can also get over with crowds just being me. We, we call it Memphis style. You know what I mean? Walk, or talking. Working the people. Well, right. that That's who buys the tickets are the people. It, you know, if you go in there and do everything back to back to back, you know, as a wrestler, we can tell what's going on. But then people, it takes a second for them to register who just got hit on a bump where both people are falling and hitting the mat. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't, I guess, don't, especially in, in the South, you know, uh, you can go out there and not touch each other for the first five minutes, but if you are interacting with the people or if you're just making little snooty comments or something along that line, they will, they will be with you the whole time without yeah. a doubt. A hundred percent. I love the fact, and that, that's the one thing I, I definitely try to do is I try to find like the one or two fans I see in the crowd that are watching me. And then just, I direct like all my energy at that one or two because, like, if I know I got them on the hook, that means everybody around them is probably going to start feeling the same way in a little bit. And sure enough, like, it happens every single time. Like, I have yeah. one or two that, I, like, I see you, and now, like, I'll hook in and I'll start talking trash. Or I may just, like, say a quick joke and you may crack up and then everybody else around you is going to start laughing. Typically, though, I like to aim at kids because, like, that's just an easy well, target. It's a lot funny of fun. enough, I'm a serial killer character is, is the gimmick, and kids are who enjoy me the most. I am more over with the kids than anybody, and I find that wild. I guess people are more sadistic nowadays, and it stems from a young age. <laughs> well, it's like that, and then, like, I think with, with like, horror characters, right, because I know, like, uh, another friend of mine who loves Leatherface, right, Evil Nate, um, one uh, yeah. of his favorite, yeah, he's like one of my favorites. Uh, one of like one of the things is like kids, like they know there's like this, like they understand, but they're also like enamored with whatever's like happening, and they and they get attacked attached to characters. They don't like everybody loves Johnny Gargano, right? As as adults, we love Johnny Gargano, but it's something about like the fiend, right? That we are like entranced by, and yes. I think that's the same way with kids. It's like. I mean, kids out there, you know, Santa Claus is a real thing, right? And they got the Tooth Fairy and stuff. And there's there's these giant characters they believe in. You know, when we were kids, Sting and Hogan and The Rock. The Austin. biggest uh, the biggest farce of a gimmick that ever, if you it, talk about wrestling in a uh, legitimate standpoint and as, and as a fight, uh, 
The Undertaker, a dead man walking, was his gimmick, but he is the most over wrestler to ever walk the earth. He had a streak for was it 21 years uh, unbeaten. Yeah. People, people cried. People literally cried when he lost. And it, it all goes to show you a character, a good character, will carry you further in wrestling than any work. Well, I mean, it's still good to know how to work, and you know what I mean, obviously. But yeah. when, but if you've got a good character, it can cover up some a lot of your flaws, you know. Facts. No, it makes sense, and it's always good to be like you know, especially if you have it meshed together, kind of like like Orange Cassidy, right? Like he can work, but he's also got like this really great character, and like he does everything really, really well, and it's like it blends, and you can see like his work rate is really good, but then also you know, his character side is on point, and like I'd love like watching his stuff do it. Like we were talking about Taker is like the ultimate character. Like everybody, everybody wishes to have a career like what Undertaker did. And the thing is, he, he preser- when you have a character like that, uh, and maybe I worded it wrong a second ago, you don't, it's not that you don't have to be as, uh, as good of a worker or a wrestler, but you have, you can work less, you know, uh, yeah. you work smarter, not harder. Is right. The first, I assume. Uh, but he, he had one match a year, maybe two for the last 10 years of his career. And, Every time he went out there, he put on a banger. You know, the matches were always solid. He didn't do no intricate spots, but he went out there and he did his things that he that he could do really well, and it got over for years. Still, yeah. he, if if he was younger and not as uh, – instead, which I'm sure if he prepared for it, he could still go – but if he uh, had another WrestleMania match, it would sell. I mean, people would go crazy for it, even with him being 50 something, 60 years old. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I know, like, everybody was talking about, like, hey, you should do more of these, like, cinematic matches. You could prolong your career, or you can push your career further down the road. And he was like, nah. <laughs> like, this was cool for the one time. He's like, I'm just. I'm I'm done, but he's like one of my favorites of like all time. Obviously, like he's everybody's favorite of like all time. But and uh, yeah, he just Stone Cold. Entra- he entranced you. Uh, it's the same with Stone Cold. You know, he, his character. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't out here wearing tight. I mean, he was early, but then whenever he found himself and he wore the cut off jeans and the the three sixteen shirt and was walking around flipping everybody a bird, you know. He came back in in twenty this year in twenty twenty two or and did WrestleMania and sold and sold a ridiculous amount of tickets within days of him being you know announced. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's and that's and like you said, tribute to just being a great character. Like great characters will take you further along the road than you know a great worker. Even though we appreciate great workers, we do also appreciate great great characters as well. Yeah. Uh, so my next question for you, right, is what kind of advice would you give to upcoming wrestlers? Um, work. And I'm not talking about in a sense of in wrestling work, get a job, get a job that will allow you to still make these bookings and work, put money back. Uh, it's not wrestling is not a business for for you to come in and make money within your first five, two, three, five years, you know, unless you're lucky, 
and you've got, you know, some people have it, but a lot of people, it takes time to develop that character and develop your work and your timing, dude. Timing's just as important, and ring awareness are just as important as having a character and being trained. But work. Save your money to where you can fund your wrestling hobby because that's what it is until you're able to comfortably make shows, put money back. You know, I've been lucky uh, over the past two months to be able to quit my regular nine to five job and focus on wrestling. So, um, and, but it, it, it really is a lot of people. I don't think understand how much money, time and effort goes into being even a new professional wrestler. If you're really trying to push yourself, your character, it, your brand, because every every pro wrestler, you got to think we're we are independent contractors. We are a business. Your character is a business that you're trying to sell to companies, fans, uh, people around the internet. You you've got to be marketable, and in order to be marketable, you've got to spend money to make money. Yeah, it's very true. Like all, all that, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, I think it's one of the most slept on uh, pieces of advice, pieces of advice that, that older heads don't pass around as much, you know. Uh, you know, and traveling's not cheap nowadays either. So, nope. uh, very close second piece of advice is abide by your bookings. If you tell somebody you're going to be there, then be there. You know, doesn't matter. You know, abide by your bookings and listen and listen and learn and have fun. Yeah, I agree with all of that. <laughs> all that is, is great advice. So listen, man, we're going to hop into the next. Well, we're going to hop into the best segment of the three count podcast. It was the Red Dogs power rankings, but I kind of slept on the power ranking side for a while. I refuse to acknowledge that it's been retired. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse. Chaz isn't winning that argument, but this is the three count podcast, 10 count questions. And here's how it works. I'm going to fire off 10 questions at you and whatever your answer is, that's your answer. So we're going to put on the imaginary timer for added pressure. Bing. And in the words of Mike Goldberg, here we go. Smackdown or raw? Raw. Favorite movie? Uh, a million ways to die in the West. <laughs> Let's go. I'm a huge Seth MacFarlane fan. <laughs> Apple or Android? Apple. Favorite cartoon? Uh, oh. Ed, Ed, Nitty. Let's go. <laughs> Batman or Superman? Ah, they both suck. Spider-Man. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. I'll take it. Uh, favorite actor? Oh, Heath Ledger. Let's go. That man was the man. Uh, Avengers or X-Men? Ooh. Uh, uh, X-Men. Okay. Favorite podcast? Uh, favorite podcast. Hey, how about this? The Three Count Podcast. Right? This is what I've been trying to tell people. It's not like we have this marketed everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nominate one person that you want to see on this podcast. Uh, Austin Wright, if you can get a hold of him, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him. I think he needs a little bit more. He's a, 
I'm a technician in the ring, a young kid, another second generation guy, and he can. I had two great matches with him two weeks ago, and I would do them anywhere. Literally take them anywhere. Nice. Or Uncle, Uncle Biff, he's my tag team partner. He's a big old bald dude. He kind of looks like Shrek. <laughs> bet, bet. And my last question that I love asking every single person who comes on this podcast, favorite curse word? Ah. Uh, holy shit. Probably shit. <laughs> was like usually right when people like try to figure out that answer then it's like yeah that's it's what hits you first what's the first <laughs> word you ever think of because <laughs> i know i think uh a couple episodes ago i had a guy was like damn yep i guess damn is gonna be that word so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love it so those are all my questions and stuff uh the last thing i need from you is to let our listeners and our viewers know where they can find you Okay, uh, this Friday I'll be at SWF in Tullahoma, Tennessee, 106 Southside Drive. Uh, Saturday night I will be in Dunlap, Tennessee for Square One Pro Wrestling uh, in a cage match, I believe, against uh, seven-foot-tall Hunter Wolf. Sunday I'll be at Greens or yeah, the Greenville Comic Con in North Carolina. I'll be up there with the, the boys from Viva Los Amish, too, so we're going to have a show up there as well. It's going to be dope, y'all. Yo, Viva Los Amish. Like, I met those guys in Delaware, and they're hilarious. They're, they're great. I think they've got another show in uh, Delaware coming up in December. Houston, Delaware, I believe. I think I'll be up there with them, too. Bet. Maybe I'll run into you, because I will definitely be there as well. Awesome. That would be dope. <laughs> Bet. Well, he told you where you can find him. He told you about his date stays got coming up. So, like every great part of a wrestling match... We got to take this home because this is the Three Count Podcast presents now in Turing. And I'm your host, Clifford Red Dog Miller, the man that leads you up that mountain called wrestling. But like every good Sherpa, it's never about me. It's about who's entering the ring. And you see him right there, Cousin Condry himself. So you guys know what to do. Tune into the next episode and be there or... You're really just following us on all of our social media platforms. You're even buying our merch on ProWrestlingTees.com for Size 3 Cow Podcast. You're subscribed to our YouTube channel. You're following us on Spotify. You're leaving us five-star frog splash reviews on Apple Podcasts. You're even telling your friends about us, and you're commenting on all of our stuff. Or you're really just kind of waiting for this episode to end. You're waiting for that outro, and then you're choosing another episode to listen to. Peace. What's going on, Three Count Nation? I'm Clifford Red Dog Miller with the catchphrase. But what I really want to do right now, go to twitter.com, right? Go over there, find us at the Three Count underscore pod, give us a follow, give us a like, give us a comment. We want to talk to you guys. Go to IG at the Three Count Pod, give us a like, give us a follow, leave us a comment. We want to interact with you. Go to youtube.com, give subscribe, turn the bell on, turn the notifications, leave a comment. We want to talk to you. Go to anger.fm forward slash the three count podcast. And in there, you can leave us a message and we will talk to you. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is that we want to talk to you. We want to have fun with you guys and we love listening to what you guys have to say. Also, one thing I need you to do for me, the three count podcast also has merchandise. Oh, at prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the three count pod. Please go buy our t-shirts. We love you guys and we hope you love us too. So. Show us some support, please.